Good morning. <clears throat> Normally when you say good morning, someone says good morning back, you know? <laughs> Thank you. Buenos dias, there we go. <laughs> glad you're here this morning. I'm glad to be here this morning. Happy Thanksgiving. It's coming up this week. So I'd, I'd like to speak to you this morning about thankfulness. The fourth Thursday in November is a national holiday reserved only for Americans. It is Thanksgiving Day, which was started by the first pilgrims who came to America. They came seeking liberty to worship God without interference from the government. I'm not going to say anything else, but just that's where, I, that's where we started as a nation. Many of them lost their lives during that first long winter. The following fall, at the first harvest of their crops, they gathered together for a day of thanksgiving to God for the food they harvested. Americans, especially Christian Americans, still celebrate Thanksgiving each year as it is observed as one of our national holidays. William Bradford, who was the governor of Plymouth, or uh, when they started all this, the original governor actually died on the, you know, right after they got to America. And so they made William Bradford, who was a very godly man, he said this, Being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land, they fell upon their knees and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean. That was his writings of the arrival of the pilgrims to Plymouth. Now let me read you the first Thanksgiving Day proclamation. To all ye pilgrims, inasmuch as the great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, beans, squash, and garden vegetables, and has made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims with your wives and little ones do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime. Did you catch that? Church service was just 30 minutes, right? <laughs> that ye gather on the hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November ye 29th of the year of our Lord, 1,623, and the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye God for all his blessings. That was the first proclamation. We've been doing that some way, shape, or form ever since 1623. In fact, it's 2023, so it'd be 400 years. 400 years. The Bible tells us that it is good to thank God for all that he's done for us. It's a spiritual discipline that we all need to master, but few of us do. We tend towards being ungrateful instead of having an attitude of gratitude. Warren Worsby, I don't know if you know that name or not, he was a, uh, 
the pastor at Moody Bible Church for years. Tremendous, tremendous exegete and uh, student of the word. Wrote a number of books. Any book you get by Warren Worsby is worth it. He said this, I have felt a long, for a long time that one of the particular temptations of the maturing Christian is the danger of getting accustomed to his blessings. Like the world traveler who has been everywhere and seen everything, the maturing Christian is in danger of taking his blessings for granted and getting so accustomed to them that they fail to excite him as they once did. Emerson said that if the stars came out only once a year, everybody would stay up at night to behold them. We've seen stars so often that we don't bother to look at them anymore. We've grown accustomed to our blessings. He goes on to say, the Israelites in the wilderness got accustomed to their blessings and God had to chasten them. I want to read to you from Numbers chapter 11. Just listen to the way the Israelites spoke to God right here when he had been blessing them in an amazing way. He says, now the mixed multitude were among the them yielded to intense cravings. What kind of cravings are they? They were hungry. They wanted something else. So the, so the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we are, ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. They were experiencing a miracle of God's provision every morning, yet they were no longer excited about it. Nothing but manna. Manna this, manna that. One of the evidences that we have grown accustomed to our blessings is this spirit of criticism and complaining. Instead of thanking God for what we have, we complain about it and tell him we wish we had something else. Who's in charge? You can be sure that if God did give us what we asked for, we would eventually complain about that. Any of you ever had that happen? (laughs) Truth be known. The person who has gotten accustomed to his blessings can never be satisfied. Another evidence of this malady is the idea that others have a better situation than we do. The Israelites remembered their diet in Egypt. Longed to return to the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlics. They were saying, the people in Egypt are so much better off than we are. Obviously, they'd forgotten the slavery they had endured in Egypt and the terrible bondage from which God delivered them. Slavery is a high price to pay for a change of diet. Would you agree? I want you to see this morning from this morning's passage, which is Psalm 136. If you have your Bibles, flip open to that or take out your Bible out of your phone or you can watch it up here too. Psalm 136 the main, is the, the main reason for thanking God for all he has done for you. And then I, I, I want to I give you the main reason and then four areas that you can thank God for. Consider these a prompt for continuing to develop an attitude of gratitude, if you would. Let me read. I'd like to read the whole psalm because it's just a wonderful psalm. Um, It sort of gets you in the right mood, I think, for Thanksgiving, hopefully, the right frame of mind. So David, I believe, wrote this. He said, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. 
Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck Egypt in, the, in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. Who brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand, with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever. Who made Israel pass through the midst of it, his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his mercy endures forever. And slew famous kings, for his mercy endures forever. Shion, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his mercy endures forever, and gave their land as a heritage, for his mercy endures forever. A heritage to Israel for his servant, or a heritage to Israel his servant, for his mercy endures forever. Who remembered us in our lowly estate, for his mercy endures forever. And rescued us from our enemies, for his mercy endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, gives thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. And that word mercy could be translated love, enduring love. It, it has that same idea. His enduring love endures forever. So let's start this morning with prayer, and then we'll look more closely at this passage. So God, we thank you for your word. It's such a wonderful avenue for us to get to know you, to understand who we are, and to draw near so that we might do your will and live according to your good pleasure. Lord, we thank you that your mercy, your, your love do endure forever. And we thank you that it's been set upon us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We ask that you might magnify your word this morning to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want you to see from this is thanking God is an expression of love for him. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but when you thank God, you're actually expressing your love to him. David says, give thanks to the Lord in verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good and his love or his mercy endures forever. We thank God because he loves us. He loves us despite ourselves. And I thank God for that. I don't know about you, but if I take a good look at myself, Boy, I'm so glad he still loves me. He loves me despite the messes we make in our lives. He loves me despite the mistakes I make. He loves me even when I do good. <laughs> he loves me all the time. He loves us so much that he rescued us from sin and self and destruction. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to pay for our sin. We can thank him because he loves us and we can love him. Verses 2 and 3, we can thank God because he is God. 
Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. There is no other one but him. He is the he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the ultimate sovereign of the universe. You, can go, you cannot go any higher than him. He is the supreme commander of all. He's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And in all of that, we can have audience with him. We can walk into his presence whenever we want by the blood of Christ. Think about that for a second. We don't have a king in this nation but how hard would it be to get in front of our president? And right now, in this place, we can walk into God's presence, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We can come into his courts whenever we feel like it through the blood of Jesus and call him Father, Daddy, and speak to him any way we need to. And he does not reject us, but he loves us and listens to us and then turns the whole universe on its ear for us if need be. He's the Lord, but he's also our Father. Don Maddox tells this story in a sermon at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles. Gary Wilburn said, in 1636, amid the darkness of the Thirty Years' War, a German pastor, Martin Rinkart, I believe, is said to have buried 5,000 of his parishioners in one year. That would be overwhelming. I did, I did uh, in a 22-month period, I buried someone every, every uh, in a 14-month period, I buried 22 people. And it overwhelmed me. I can't imagine. He had an average of 15 a day. His parish was ravaged by war, death, and economic disaster. In the heart of that darkness, with cries of fear outside his window, he sat down and wrote this table grace for his children. Now listen to this, right in the middle of all that mess, he wrote this. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath led us on our way with countless gifts of love, and still is ours today. Here was a man who knew thanksgiving comes from the love of God not from the outward circumstances. So, thankfulness is an expression of our love for him. He loves us, and we return that by thanking him. Now, David goes on to outline several things that we can thank God for. We can thank God for the excellence of his creation. Another great reason to thank God is for his marvelous and awesome creation. David picked up this theme in this next section God alone does wonders, verse 4, and to him who alone does great wonders. God alone has set up the sky and the universe and all of creation has made it work perfectly together. It's amazing. He alone does all that is necessary for his creation to even exist. He holds it in his hand. Then he tells of the wonders of the heavens and all that is that is a part of that. Have you, have you been out for a nature walk recently and just marveled at the grandeur of God and creation that is, that's awesome as it is? As awesome as it is? Uh, it's hunting season. Some of you probably hunt. I love to hunt because I get outside and I get to walk in what God has done. I, 
I, um, two days ago, I sat in front of a ravine that was about 200 feet deep, and I was deciding, you know, Lord, why did you make this? Because I got to cross it. There's some deer on the other side. It's beautiful. We live in an absolutely gorgeous place that God has created special, I think, for us Montanians. It's beautiful. Have you noted God's handiwork and his picture in the skies and realized that it's all for you? He's awesome and deserves our thanks for the sun, the moon, and the stars. Then another thing to thank God for is his enduring love and history. Um, In verses 10 to 15, David begins to outline some of the history of, of Israel. He shifts his focus to their history and their redemption from slavery in Egypt. He recounts that their history, he recounts their history and realizes the love of God in their history, and he gives thanks for it. You know, he probably had Keith Green in his court singing that song just to remind him how, <laughs> how good God had been. When was the last time you contemplated your own personal history? How about the history of your family and how God has been working in that? I know I go far, for, for too long of periods of time and forget the history of God working in my own life and the history of my family. My mother, after I became a Christian, she said, uh, we used to have a, she said, there's a, there's a Swedish Lutheran pastor in our background a couple, three generations back. He must have been praying for us. Well, I didn't know any of that. There are times when we need to remember that he saved us and what he saved us from and what he saved us to. He saved me from a life of self-destruction and misery. He saved me to a life of purpose and hope and direction that he's provided. I got saved when I was 23. I'm 70. And uh, it hasn't all been perfect by any stretch. I can't tell you I haven't ever backslidden. Maybe only once, but no. (laughs) No. But God's always there. He always lifts me up. He always, I was thinking about this morning in my quiet time earlier this morning, how many times God has answered my prayers and rescued me from some weird situation. He saved me to a wonderful family and wonderful kids and a wonderful wife. I give thanks for all of that and more. My grandfather, I was thinking about this, my grandfather, he died when I was eight. My grandfather on my dad's side decided to go from Texas to Atlanta in 1914 to go to Georgia Tech. He never went back to the family business in San Antonio. And by the way, um, my family at one point owned about 160 acres in what is now downtown San Antonio. My grand, great-grandfather owned a general store right outside of the Alamo. There's a street down there called Stumberg Street. That's my claim to fame because they sold it long before San Antonio got to be big and wonderful. But all that changed. He came and stayed and later ran a cotton mill in Tallahassee, Alabama. What if he had gone back to Texas? My dad would have never met my mom, and I'd not be even here today. God had his hand in that. God was sovereignly involved in my history, and even back then, 
he, he's been involved in all of our histories if we'll but look and consider what he has done. Maybe part of your Thanksgiving this, this week should be to take time to remember your family history. We don't do that very much anymore. You know, the, um, what's the website that has started finding genealogies and stuff? There's some value to that just to find out who, who and where you are come from. God, God, believe me, was at work in your history, just like he was at work in the history of the Israelites. Our Daily Bread had this article in it from January 26, 2000. He says, I have a friend in England who is in her mid-80s. Although she's housebound and frail, she has an attitude of gratitude every time we talk on the telephone. One of our, her favorite hymns has always been Count Your Blessings. You guys know that one? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, he went not as, as far as I go. So I was concerned when she remarked one day, I stopped counting my blessings one by one. But then she continued cheerfully, my blessings are so many, I count them ton by ton. <laughs> you been counting lately? I really think it will help you to change your attitude if you'll stop for a few minutes every so often and just count the blessings that God has given to you. He's given you so many. He's such a gracious God. So we have that from our history we can thank God for. There's another thing. Thank God for the extent of his care. In verses 16 to 22, David begins to recount the care that God has given to his people. He cared for them in the desert, and then he cared for them in the conquest of the land. He gave them all that they have as an inheritance to his people. In fact, I would even say now he's caring for them with all the mess that's going on in Israel, even today. They lost all those people, but God's still at work over there. Did they deserve it? Did he give it to them because they were something special? He gave it to them because of his promise to Abraham and his consistency of character. God, when he says something, he's going to do it. And you and I can lean on that. We can depend on that. God says he'll take care of us. God says he'll bless us. God says he'll answer our prayers. God says he'll save us. God says he'll take us to heaven. Go on down the list. We know for certain that he will do that. We can thank him for it. Now, has God not taken care of you? Has he supplied your needs? Has he blessed you with a roof, a car, food, game, Recreation? How has God not taken care of you? And have you thanked him? George Mikes tells this story. I love this story. It's a funny story. He said, in Budapest, a man goes to the Ryback and complains, Life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? The rabbi answers, take your goat into the room with you. The man is incredulous. But the rabbi insists, do as I say and come back in a week. A week later, the man comes back looking more distraught than before. We cannot stand it, he tells the rabbi. The goat is filthy. The rabbi then tells him, go home and let the goat out and come back in a week. A radiant man returns to the rabbi a week later, exclaiming, life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it now that there's no goat. Only the nine of us. <laughs> Some of you may need a goat in your house. 
<laughs> and if you like, I can arrange for it. <laughs> Don't we do that? We get caught up in the junk of life and we forget to thank God. David Owen in Reader's Digest, July 1996, <laughs> he wrote this. Now, this is good. William I, who conquered England some 930 years ago, had wealth, power, and a ruthless army. Yet although William was stupefyingly rich by the standard of his time, <clears throat> he had nothing remotely resembling a flush toilet. No paper towels, no riding lawnmower. How in the world did he get by? History books are filled with wealthy people who were practically destitute compared to me, I have triple-track storm windows. <clears throat> Corsius did not. Now, Corsius was a wealthy um, man who ran Lydia. <clears throat> if you don't, I had to look him up. Entire nations trembled before Alexander the Great, but he couldn't buy cat food in bulk. Tsar <laughs> Nicholas II lacked a compound miter saw. Given how much better off I am <clears throat> than so many famous dead people, you'd think I'd be content. The trouble is that, like most people, I compare my prosperity with that of living persons, neighbors, high school classmates, TV personalities, etc. The covetousness I feel toward my friend Howard's new kitchen is not mitigated by the fact that no French monarch ever had a refrigerator with glass doors. There's really no rising or falling standard of living over the centuries, people simply find different stuff to feel grumpy about. You'd think that, nearly, that merely not having bubonic plague would put us in a good mood. <clears throat> but no, we want a hot tub too. Of course, one way to achieve happiness would be to realize that even by contemporary standards, the things I own are pretty nice. My house is smaller than the houses of many investment bankers, but... Even so, it, is a lot more it has a lot more rooms than my wife and I can keep clean. <clears throat> she, she heard that. Besides, to, to people looking back at our era from a century or two in the future, those bankers' fancy countertops and my own worn formica will seem equally shabby. <laughs> I can't keep up with my neighbor right now, but just wait. <laughs> Have you thanked God for his care recently, he does care for you and provide for you more than you can really even know. He takes care of us in so many ways. I like this story. I'm sorry, I have a lot of stories this morning. But in his book, Folk Psalms of Faith, Ray Stedman, who I've told you all, he's from Montana, great exegete of the scripture. He, he used to um, pastor Palo Alto Valley. Uh, Bible Church, which is where Chuck Swindoll went and became the preacher he became. Anyway, he tells of an experience by H.I. Ironside. Now, do you guys know who H.I.A. Ironside is? He's one of you. He's a Presbyterian. <laughs> he, he pastored, uh, I believe it's 10th Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. He's a great, great preacher. Had a s unique sense of humor. So he had gone into this crowded restaurant. <clears throat> Just as Ironside was about to begin his meal, a man approached and asked if he could join him. Now, this is back in the 30s, so they would do stuff like that. Ironside invited him to have a seat. 
Then, as was his custom, Ironside bowed his head in prayer. When he opened his eyes, the other man asked, Do you have a headache? Ironside replied, No, I don't. The other man asked, Well, is there something wrong with your food? Ironside replied, No, I, I was simply thanking God as I always do before I eat. The man said, Oh, you're one of those, are you? <laughs> well, I want, to, I want you to know I never give thanks. I earn my money by the sweat of my brow, and I don't have to give thanks to anybody when I eat. I just start right in. Ironside said, yes, you're just like my dog. That's what he does, too. <laughs> I thought about my dog. That's exactly what she does. The last thing to thank God for from this passage is thank God for esteeming us worthy of his love. The last three verses, David goes into that whole thing. He's, in verse 23, he says, or four verses, who remembered us in our lowly estate? Do you ever take time, and I would really encourage you to do this, take time sometime to remember what you were like before Jesus. Now, you may have been, my, my wife got saved when she was six or seven. She didn't have him really a whole time before Jesus. I have a, I have a pretty you know, messed up time before Jesus. I was the largest drug dealer on my college campus, just to give you a little flavor of that. And God saved me out of all that. Turned my life right around. Take time to, to look back. He thanks God, David does, for remembering them in their low estate and the low point of their existence. Do you know that God remembered you when he saved you and rescued you from the plight of sin and all the outworkings of that in your life? Thank him for it. He did it. In verse 24, he says, and rescued us from our enemies. Look what David says. He freed us from our enemies. Who is our enemy? One big one is Satan himself. And he's after us. If you got Jesus on this side of you, he's got an X on the back side of you trying to take shots at you. But he rescues us from that. We're in Christ. We don't have to fear Satan or any of the things he does. He may come at us and, and cause issues and problems, but Jesus takes care of us. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Verse 25, he says, who gives us food to gives food to all flesh. He provides for us the very food we eat, whether you realize it or not. He does. In verse 26, the last verse, give thanks to the God of heaven. Doesn't he deserve our thanks? He provides on every hand for us, and so often we're ungrateful. A sign of Christian maturity is to live a life of thankfulness to him who has provided so much. Tons and tons of blessings. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. I hope you have read a man named Chuck Colson or Charles Colson. He's dead now, but he was certainly one of the warriors uh, in America up until about 10 years ago when he died or eight years ago. He tells this story of Squanto. Do you guys know who Squanto is? Squanto was the Indian that helped the pilgrims. I didn't know all this when I first read this. Most of us know the story of the first Thanksgiving. At least we know the pilgrim version. But how many of us know the Indian viewpoint? No, I'm not talking about some revisionist 
version of history. I'm talking about the amazing story of the way God used an Indian named Squanto as a special instrument in his providence. Historical, historical accounts of Squanto's life vary, but historians believe that around 1608, more than a decade before the pilgrims landed in the New World, a group of English traders led by Captain Hunt sailed to what is today Plymouth, Massachusetts. When the trusting, and I can't pronounce these folks' names, but Wampango Indians um, came out to trade, Hunt took them prisoner and transported them to Spain and, told, and sold them into slavery. But God, I love that little phrase, but God. He's always in control, but God. But God had an amazing plan for one of the captured Indians, a boy named Squanto. Squanto was, brought, was bought by a well-meaning Spanish monk who treated him well and taught him the Christian faith. Squanto eventually made his way to England and worked in the stable of a man named John Sl Slaney. Slaney sympathized with Squanto's desire to return home, and he promised to put the Indian on the first vessel bound for America. It wasn't until 1619, 10 years after Squanto's first kidnap, was first kidnapped, that a ship was found. Finally, after a decade of exile and heartbreak, Squanto was on his way home. But when he arrived in Massachusetts, more heartbreak awaited him. An epidemic wiped out Squanto's entire village. We can only imagine what must have gone through Squanto's mind. Why had God allowed him to return home against all odds only to find his loved ones dead? A year later, the answer came. A shipload of English families arrived and settled on the very land once occupied by Squanto's people. Squanto went to meet them, greeting the startled pilgrims in English. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Howdy, folks. How are you? <laughs> According to the diary of Pilgrim Governor William Bradford, Squanto became a special instrument sent of God for our good. He showed us how to plant our corn where to take fish and to procure other commodities, and was also our pilot to bring us to unknown places for our profit and never left us till he died. When Squanto lay dying of a fever, Bradford wrote that their Indian friend desired the governor to pray for him that he might go to the Englishman's God in heaven. Squanto bequeathed his possessions to his English friends as remembrance of his love. Holson goes on to say, but who... Who but God could so miraculously weave together the lives of a lonely Indian and struggling band of Englishmen? It's hard not to make comparisons with the biblical story of Joseph, who was also sold into slavery, and whom God likewise used as a special instrument for his good, or for their good. Squanto's life is remarkable, and we ought to make sure our children and grandchildren learn about it. While you're enjoying turkey and pumpkin pie, this week, he says tomorrow, share with your kids the Indian side of the story of Thanksgiving. Tell them about Squanto being the special instrument sent of God who changed the course of American history. Whether you know it or not, God wants to use you to change the course of your family, of our city, of our state, of our nation. We can thank God for that. We don't know exactly how sometimes, but we can thank God for that.
God for, <clears throat> provides for us because he loves us. He does it through his creation, his care, his providence in our history. And because he thinks we're worthy of his love. I don't know where he got that thought, but he, he does. Don't you think we should thank him? Thank him, if you have it, by giving him your life. That's a great expression of thanks. Let's pray for a moment. God, you're, you're just wonderful. You're awesome. Um, when we just sit and think for a moment of all the things that you've done for us, of all the ways you've upheld us and gone before us and worked out things for our good, Lord, we're just stunned. We're amazed. And we thank you. We thank you so much. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for drawing us out of darkness and bringing us into light. Thank you for taking us out of the mire of this world and literally setting us on a hill of light. Lord, I pray that we would just um, sometimes take time just to meditate on all your goodness to us. You're so good. Thank you for this country, for this nation. We're going through a lot of mess right now. And we've abandoned you in our history. But Lord, call us back. I pray that you would send great revival to America. Maybe you'd start this Thanksgiving. That we would finally get back to what we're really all about. What we were called to be a light on a hill. And God, I pray that you would just send a, an overwhelming flow of your spirit across our nation and that you would save us from ourselves. Thank you. We're going to trust you for it.